Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm not a doctor. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Thursday, June 25th, 2020, and the headline in today's Sun-Times, the big story of the day in Chicago, amid protests, school board votes to keep cops for now, cops in schools. We've been talking a lot about that uh, on the show all week. And uh, yesterday, the Board of Education voted 4-3 to to, uh, keep the contract going, but the contract expires in August, so we'll probably be talking about this comes September. It's not what we're going to be talking about today. I just put it out there to give you an idea of what was uh, in the news the day we did this interview. Uh, We're doing another cannabis conversation. I'm going to turn things over to my distinguished partner in crime to introduce our guest, the great, the one, the only, Lisa Solomon. Welcome back, Lisa. Hey, Ben. Always good to be here. Thank you. So with us today, we have Akili Parnell, And Akili, thank you for taking time out of your busy day at the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights to be here with us. And I'm glad to have you on. I think this conversation is probably going to stray a bit because you're going to have a lot to say about so many related topics. And I know Ben's going to have some questions to jump in with. Um, Akili is also an organizer and attorney with the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition. And his experience in the cannabis industry runs deep. After law school and working for a couple of private law firms, he worked for one of the large MSOs, multi-state operators, and was involved with training for an incubator or accelerator for another one. So he's got a great deal of cannabis knowledge. And I want you to tell us about this Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition and the collective benefits agreements you are working on. Yes, uh, Lisa, Ben, thanks for having me. yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about the coalition. So the coalition started around a couple years ago, um, and it's basically a, sort of like a, a coalition collective of individuals and organizations who are organizing around the issue of racial equity in the cannabis industry. And so, you know, they're really working to make sure that, you know, the communities that have been most harmed by the war on drugs um, are able to, you know, access some of the economic benefits and, you know, and, and uh, obtain ownership in this new legal industry. Um, and so one of the, uh, one of their main campaigns and one of their biggest accomplishments has been this uh, community benefits agreement campaign. And so essentially what this campaign is calling for is, you know, all these uh, new dispensaries, which are all owned by predominantly white owned companies um, that they were, you know, almost in effect uh, given. And so let me backtrack a little bit to get some context. Um, so, you know, before we legalize recreational, uh, the recreational sale um, of cannabis, you know, we had a medical market. And so under, through that medical program, awards were given out to, you know, a certain amount of companies, for the most part, it's around six or seven, um, you 
know, sort of larger companies and some independent shops that own all the licenses that own all the licenses to sell um, and grow medical cannabis. Um, and so when we legalized uh, recreational use, we pretty much allowed them to get the, the head start on selling recreational cannabis. They already had infrastructure in place. You know, they, they knew what they were doing. Um, and we also used some of the funds that they would generate to fund, you know, future social equity applicants. And we'll get into what that, that means later. Um, but so what that did, that gave them a head start that also ended up giving certain kinds of folks a head start. And that is predominantly, you know, wealthy, you know, white men, a head start on recreational cannabis. Um, and so now that we, you know, legalize recreational cannabis, um, there's a need to create opportunities for those who suffered the most under the law on drugs. And so right now the cannabis industry in Illinois and nationwide is inequitable. And so the CBA campaign wanted to address um, this sort of gap in between where you have, or we're at the point where you have existing operators in the Trump predominantly white homes selling cannabis, making millions of dollars um, before black and brown operators can get in. And so we needed to, to sort of fill that gap between now and when social equity licenses will be issued. And so the CBA campaign calls on all those existing operators um, to agree to certain racially equitable hiring measures and standards. So the goal would be like, you know, hire 50 to 75%, um, you know, persons from disproportionately impacted communities, which are predominantly black and Latinx, um, to give back to those communities and community organizations that are working to repair uh, the devastation from the war on drugs. Um, and then there's some other, uh, there's some other uh, you know, things that we call for in there. But that's the general context. And so the coalition is working on this CBA campaign in addition to pushing for more socially equitable cannabis policy, both at the state and the city level, in addition to, uh, you know, educating, doing community education to ensure that, you know, community members, especially in the most vulnerable communities, know their rights with respect to cannabis and law enforcement. And how receptive are you finding the dispensaries in existence to be to this agreement? Yeah, so we launched this back uh, in the beginning of the year, uh, before the lockdown, before uh, this, you know, global pandemic. And initially, um, you know, I think operators found it interesting and maybe liked the con, you know, maybe thought it was a good thing, but weren't really that eager to sign on. And so we really pushed, we pushed pretty heavily for it. Um, the organization, you know, pulled together all the different resources, uh, you know, community members, um, legal aid organizations, community organizations, um, from across the city uh, to sort of build up support for this. Um, but we did find initially one operator um, that was really interested, and that was the first one that we signed. And so that was with Nature's Care Company, which is actually a subsidiary of this large multi-state operator called Acreage Holdings. Um, and so we can get into some of the politics on that. It's interesting. But, you know, for this one dispensary that this, you know, large corporation owns, they had also partnered with uh, a social equity um, operator, which is, you know, it's a black owned company, um, black and, and woman owned company. It's um, really trying to carve out a space for black and brown folks in the industry. And so they really saw the value in the CBA because, you know, in addition to calling them to adopt these racially equitable standards, it also, um, you know, we saw that there was value in there for the companies because the coalition has a lot of resources to provide to companies that are interested in doing more in regards to racial justice and equity. And now that we, you know, now um, 
giving all this, you know, the attention to racial equity and policing reform and, and just a broader conversation about how do we make uh, America a more racially just and equitable society, companies are starting to revisit, you know, um, you know, what sort of practices they have in place to reflect that, that racial equity internally. And that's particularly true for cannabis companies. And there's a reason for that. And, you know, there's a historical context around that. And that historical context is the war on drugs. And we know that, you know, the war on drugs was, was extremely extractive. Um, it was primarily focused on, you know, black uh, communities in particular, and Latinx communities. Um, and because of that, and because of, you know, cannabis's role in the war on drugs, it's kind of like the weapon of choice. Um, you know, now that we're legalizing that, you know, that, that plant and allowing people to profit off of it and make millions of dollars and, you know, potentially, eventually billions, um, we need to do it in a way that's racially just and equitable and acknowledges the history of what we as a society decided to do with the plant, um, especially in regards to race and equity. You know, couple- it's great to hear that nature's care has jumped in. Do you have other dispensaries that are interested? And another part to that question is, you listed a lot of wonderful organizations that are working with you and supporting you. Do you have representatives from any of the MSOs or white-owned cannabis companies working with you in the coalition? Well, so, yeah, so Nature's Care, I mean, is one because they signed on. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily working with the coalition. We certainly have employees. Um, we certainly have several, you know, black and Latinx employees and employees of other races. Um, that work for MSOs, um, you know, who are working with us and organizing around the issue of equity. I mean, I was the same when I, you know, joined Green Thumb Ministries. I was also a member of Chicago Normal and working with the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition. So, um, but as far as actual operators that are members of the coalition, we don't have that yet, but um, there are, we are, you know, we are negotiating other CBAs right now. And so uh, we're about to sign another one. Uh, We'll announce that you know, hopefully early next week. Um, and then we're in talks with another operator, uh, to sign another, um, you know, we, before, um, the global pandemic and before the lockdown, you know, we, we talked to maybe a little bit over half, maybe 60, 70% of the large cannabis companies, um, that are operating in the state of Illinois about a community benefits agreement. So they're all aware of it. Um, you know, some express some interest, some, some hesitation and some, you know, we were working through, we were on track to maybe, you know, sign about four, um, but I know some economic conditions uh, changed for one in particular, so we don't know about the, the future of that one. We, think we can expect to at least do uh, three or four, which we think is really significant. Um, and when you consider the context that, for the most part, you know, community benefits agreements, these aren't unique to the cannabis industry. Um, oftentimes, these arise in the context of, you know, large developers, um, you know, developing a new property in a, you know, under lower resourced uh, area. And so, you know, community organizations push these and they typically don't get signed. And so from, from my understanding, you know, the one that we signed with Nature's Care, this is a historic agreement. And this is the first one to be signed uh, in the city of Chicago that we're aware of. And that, you know, I talked to several other business journalists, uh, one of Cranes, who said this is the first one that he was aware of that had ever been signed in the city of Chicago. And this is the first one uh, to is the first one to be signed in the cannabis industry, um, and then we just signed a second one. So that would be the first CBA in Chicago, uh, first in cannabis, and then the second. Uh, Akili, you uh, mentioned community benefits agreements and how they're usually uh, being negotiated uh, with 
neighborhood activists uh, and developers. We're seeing it's going on uh, uh, on the south side of Chicago with the Obama Center. You're, you're about the That's third or fourth guest uh, that we've had, that Lisa and I have had this conversation with about the failures of Illinois uh, to hit the road running, so to speak, uh, on the social equ- equity aspect of legalizing cannabis. So let's just take a moment. I understand that the way the program was set up gave a huge advantage, obviously, uh, to the people already in the game because the, the medical dispensaries got the first shot at it. Looking back, do you think there's something that the state of Illinois might have done so that this wasn't the case, so that we wouldn't be now negotiating community benefits agreements as opposed to having them locked in when uh, we legalized marijuana? Yeah, no, you know, that's, been, that's a really good question. I do think there's some things that, you know, in retrospect, um, I think we could have done differently. And the first, um, I think this one has the most significant economic consequences, is um, ensuring that everyone starts the race at the, at the same time. And so instead of having, you know, basically what we have now is a, a de facto racial monopoly over the Illinois cannabis industry. Um, because, you know, they got the head start, you know, they're already operating on the medical market. They get, you know, potentially now that things have been delayed in terms of the issuance of new licenses, about a, a year or so head start um, on social equity applicants. And so I think the most equitable way to have done that would have been to have everyone start around the same time. And I think we still could have, um, you know, someone might push back on that and say, well, we needed to give existing operators a head start to, you know, get enough funds to build this, you know, cannabis business development fund, which is intended to support social equity applicants and provide, you know, financial resources to capitalize their business and get it up and running. But I think we still could have gotten there and have everybody start selling recreational cannabis at the same time. You still, you know, allow the existing operators to pay into a system and, you know, basically, you know, transition their medical license to REC and, you know, I don't know if I necessarily would have given them an additional dispensary and that's allowing them to double their footprint and their stronghold on the market without having to compete for that license, just like everyone else will have to do. Um, but I think there are still ways to fund um, social equity applicants, I mean, the social equity program and allow everybody to start at the same time. So that's the first thing that I would have done. And then I think social equity organizers will call for a little bit more transparency um, around the sort of makeup of existing licensees, um, you know, we want to know who owns what and, you know, what's the relationship between all of them. Um, that's another thing. And then some sort of incentives to um, to hire from disproportionately impacted communities and maybe some, you know, wage requirement. You know, the other big piece of the CBA is that, you know, we ask all of these operators to pay a living wage because we know oftentimes that it's people of color, it's black, it's Latinx folks who, when they do, you know, get jobs in the cannabis industry tend to get the lowest wage jobs, the jobs with very little upward, you know, mobility in the company. Um, and that's something we wanted to address in the CBA, but you know, I would have liked to have seen some legislation on that, but I also understand that, you know, legalizing cannabis, um, you know, that's a huge step and that's a big undertaking and selling that to a wide range of stakeholders across the state is no easy task. So, um, you know, I don't want to, necessarily, you know, say that, you know, the legislators, you know, felt that to think this is great, this is better relative to 
anything else that, you know, in my opinion, that other states have passed. But, you know, at the same time, you know, relative isn't good enough. Relative good isn't good enough. You know, um, other states, you know, essentially failed to create any real social equity. So um, that we're going further than that, um, you know, is good. But that that's not that's not the standard. Right. So you talked about wages and mobility because that has been an issue. There are a lot of persons of color that are hired to be bud tenders or work in the grow facilities, trimmers or growers, but they aren't paid a living wage. Is there something in the CBA about that and something to encourage companies to grow senior management and board positions for persons of color? Yes. So, yeah, we do address that. And so um, on the wage piece, um, so the CBA, um, requires each operator to pay, you know, all of their employees a living wage. And then, you know, typically we ask that that living wage increase because you need, it needs to account for inflation and the increase in cost of living year to year. Um, and we know that wages, you know, for the average employee generally in the economy have not kept up with, you know, the rise in cost of living and inflation. And so, you know, we want to target at least $16 below that. We think that's just not, not really uh, enough, especially given executive compensation. Um, and so that's the wage piece. And then we do ask that, you know, each company come up with, uh, you know, a support program and a training program for um, all of their employees, but particularly for, uh, you know, employees from marginalized communities so that they are able to, you know, um, you know advance within the company, build skills that are applicable to new industries, um, it's really about, you know, that workforce development and training. We think that, um, you know, corporations, big and small companies, big and small, have a role to play in developing the workforce of the future and helping to make, you know, the wrongs of the wrongs of the right. Akili, you said $16 an hour, just to make sure I understand you. Are you saying that's what the uh, dispensaries are offering or is that what you think is the minimum they should be offering? We think that's the minimum of what they should be offering. Um, many do have, you know, voluntarily agreed to pay something around that 15, but our CBA asked for at least that, but we think, you know, this should actually come. That's the minimum. And uh, you also mentioned social equitable uh, equitable policies, and I uh, made a note of that to get some examples. What are you What are you talking about when you talk about policies? Yeah, so um, so this community benefits agreement, um, you can kind of you know group the ask under it into about four or five different buckets, and so the first would be hiring, and so that's like the first socially equitable business practice that we're asking these companies to implement. And so with respect to hiring, you know, we think that especially for these dispensaries, these plus one, what we call dispensaries that were, you know, essentially awarded without having to compete. Um, you know, they just pay into a fund, um, you know, meet some minimum requirements, fill out some paperwork and are able to, you know, get these additional licenses and double their footprint. Um, and so, you know, because of that, we think that those dispensaries in particular, um, you know, should hire at least 75% um, of their employees from disproportionately impacted areas. Those are the areas with, you know, the highest rates of cannabis uh, arrest and incarceration, highest rates of poverty, 
um, as measured by, you know, the poverty rates, the amount of children on free and reduced lunch and other metrics, gun violence, the community that were really harmed and destroyed by the war on drugs. Um, and so the hiring piece is one. And we also don't want to lose uh, sight of like older folks and older persons. Um, and not necessarily will we classify seniors, but, you know, many times cannabis companies end up hiring a lot of younger folks. And, you know, it's understandable for a lot of reasons, but there are older folks who are interested in being in the cannabis industry. So we actually, especially in impacted communities, disproportionately impacted communities. So we ask that, you know, that be a part of their hiring goals as well. Um, and then we wanted, you know, them to partner with the coalition and other um, organizations to host job fairs um, in disproportionately impacted areas uh, throughout the city. And, you know, we can help with that. Um, but, you know, that would help in terms of identifying employees that, you know, will be eligible and interested uh, working at these dispensaries. Another one is job quality. We hit on that briefly um, with wages. And so, you know, that's where they're being paid a living wage. And we calculated this living wage based on, you know, uh, so MIT has this like living wage calculator that you can use to calculate the living wage for any particular area, like almost down to the zip code. Um, and so we use that as a starting point and then adjusted it for, you know, how much, you know, revenue, potential profit we think that, you know, these first dispensaries with very little competition will generate. And because of that, you know, we bumped up what we think of real living wages and it, it can be adjusted for, you know, how many children you have and what part of town you live in and all that stuff. And, you know, we landed at around 16 to, to 17 um, and then, you know, adjusting that up each year. Um, so that's one of the other job quality things. And then, you know, ideally we would like, you know, compensation structures that, you know, incentivize or reward employees for doing all this hard work. Cause you know, in the first few days of legalization lines were around the block. And so, you know, if the folks on the ground are doing tons of hard work, lots of hard work, and oftentimes, you know, we find in, especially in large corporate contexts that the work that the, you know, the lower wage workers are doing, the people on the ground that we know are working hard, you know, isn't given the same dignity, isn't afforded the same dignity um, and value, or certainly not a, a you know not enough value that it, that it deserves. And so we feel like if they're really you know putting in the work to generate tons of revenue um, for a dispensary, then they should be you know compensated for that. So we want some sort of like bonus program. We know corporate employees get that, um, and so there should be some sort of you know bonus incentive program for even your dispensary workers or your for your, you know, if it's a cultivation facility, you know, for those workers. Um, and then we wanted all those, well, a certain percentage of those jobs to be full-time jobs. And so we think at least half, but we like all or whatever depends on, you know, your sort of operational strategy for that dispensary. But a good portion of those need to be full-time jobs. Because again, back to the racial equity point, we know that oftentimes, you know, it's black, it's Latinx folks, it's people of color um, who end up getting those part-time jobs. And so, you know, wage instability and job instability is a serious issue in disproportionately impacted areas. And here's a way to address it. So we put that in the CBA. And, you know, in addition, under the job quality, um, in the job quality category, you know, we also added the career development uh, training and resources so that they're building skills that can allow them to advance in the company or at least in their career and not just be doing the same thing forever. Some people might be happy doing that, but, you know, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, just like everyone else, these folks have aspirations to do more. Um, and so that should be available. Um, another category is training. We touched on that briefly with the job quality. Those kind of go together. 
And so, um, you know, there should be pathways to uh, employment in the industry. So there's training opportunities, initiatives targeted to impact the person. And, you know, all these asks under the CBA, it's not like we're just asking the company to create all these programs and do it all on their own. Like the, the coalition has, you know, tons of resources and we're building on that that can enable um, these companies to do that. Um, and so the next one is community impact. And so under the CBA, we also ask for um, a commitment to reinvestment because, you know, the existing operators are in a position where they are because of, to a, to a certain degree, they're in this position and black and Latinx operators are not because of the history of racial exclusion and oppression and exploitation. That's just true. I'm not saying that they created it, but they are, in effect, being able to take advantage of it. And so by taking advantage of it, you are replicating that. And so there is some, there's a moral obligation, we feel, to, um, you know, to invest in communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the the war on drugs. And so the law touches on some of that in the licensing process, but we think that should be something that's ongoing. And so the CBA calls on, uh, go ahead. Um, Yeah, so I like the part about the percentage of employees that you expect to be have full-time positions um, that opens mm-hmm. it up to benefits and that actually helps the industry as a whole. There seems to be a very high rate of mm-hmm. turnover in the industry because people are underpaid. The frontline people are not given enough respect. And in the end, it hurts the consumer in addition to not being a good career path for the frontline workers. So thank you for working on that. And I have a question about the oversight. You are asking and expecting a lot which are all very good policies, but who is keeping track to see if they're actually holding up their bargain? Who's going to do the oversight of this? Yeah, great question. So the oversight is done by the coalition in conjunction with, um, you know, the dispensary or the operator. And so under the CBA, you know, every, there's a, there's like a certain period, whether it be a quarter or half a year uh, where they would be required to basically provide, you know, enough information to determine progress or, whether or not they've met the goals under the CBA. So if it's hiring, you know, you know, they can send us, you know, information, not necessarily disclosing, you know, employees, you know, identities or anything like that, but we can tell how many employees they currently employ that live in disproportionately impacted areas. Uh, with respect to wages, you know, that could just be, you know, a list of how much they're paying their employees. And we can tell, you know, on average, one's getting paid or everyone, you know, not even just on average, but, everyone is getting paid a living wage. Um, we can calculate that. And so that's the oversight. And then as far as, you know, consequences for, you know, not meeting those goals, I mean, there's some legal language in there and ways to resolve that through meeting together and, you know, and then, you know, certain, you know, metrics and stuff, if they're not met, then there would be like, you know, be required to pay uh, like certain penalties for lack of a better word. Um, and so it, 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 the CBA has real teeth. Um, you know, it is a binding agreement. And so, you know, there's always, I guess, you know, the courts that are available, but, you know, we don't really expect it to go to that ever. We think that, you know, any sort of failure to meet different goals and stuff could be worked out um, without, without having to go that route. Okay. And along with that, uh, will there be some type of certification, an emblem, something that they can put on their website, put a sticker in the window, be listed on a page on your site, to show that they are doing this because while we expect them to be doing it for the right reasons, because it's the right thing to do, there are also people that want to know because they will choose to buy products from producers and dispensaries that are selling, you know, companies with 
an appropriate number of people from disproportionately impacted areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's actually that's something we've been thinking about and not even just on the local at the local level, but on the national level. And so we have been in conversation with other you know, social equity organizers to potentially develop something like that. But I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because a friend of mine from New York who's also uh, runs a nonprofit, a cannabis equity nonprofit in New York, um, has been working on New York's legislation, um, brought up the same idea that, you know, um, maybe that's something we should do. Um, You know, but but for right now, I mean, the operators, you know, we've done, we did a, you know, sort of like a press conference, we do press releases, you know, they can, you know, tell their aldermen, like, you know, we've, you know, we've incorporated community input and community participation into the operation of this dispensary. Um, and so, you know, right now that's sort of how they're, you know, putting their, they're getting their stamp of approval from the coalition. Um, and then we also support them that they're, um, zoning hearings, so they need zoning approval and all that. And so we support them that way. Um, and through just ongoing efforts and all that, um, you know, to, to build out their dispensary and to partner with us. That zoning issue is a big one because Mm -hmm. I know some are trying to get into neighborhoods where they're not necessarily wanted. And that can really (laughs) make a difference. To put it mildly. That's that's right. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's going to be a more interesting issue because it was still really early in the uh, zoning process. Like a few, you know, new dispensaries have gotten their zoning approval, but that's going to be a huge issue, not only for existing operators, um, but once all these new sort of social equity licenses come online, because we know that not everyone who's going to win a social equity license as a social equity applicant is really going to be like a real, you know, social equity applicant. And so when they go to get their zoning approval and then you see, you know, a team full of, you know, rich white dudes and you're like, wait, y'all are social, social equity <laughs> applicants? <Yeah. laughs> um, yeah. so one of the things Chicago. I want to point out about the coalition that I think is so fantastic. You've got the policies there and you're giving people action steps to take a plan of what they can do and you're offering support because there has been a lot of much needed conversation, but people need to know what to do and how they can start moving the needle mm-hmm. to where it needs to go. So I really commend you and the rest of the coalition for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of support, uh, especially outside of the cannabis organizing, especially the cannabis industry, certainly up from any organizers, anyone that just really values and sees the importance of um, social and racial equity in this industry. So I appreciate that. Um, we're going to continue to develop those um, throughout the next year. Akili, we've run out of time. So why don't we just leave it with, uh, is there a website folks can go to to learn more about uh, what your your efforts uh, is there any uh, any inf- any more information uh, any promotional stuff you want to say before we let you go yeah definitely so you can find out more um, about the cannabis equity Illinois coalition if you go to cannabis equity that's the website um, you can find out more about you know what we're doing right now you can come join our meetings so the cannabis equity coalition uh, meets every Thursday at six o'clock um, so you can find out about how to participate in those. You can also uh, join Chicago Normal. I'm also a member of that's the other another uh, organization that's organizing around cannabis equity. Um, you can Google them. I think Chicago Normal. But don't quote me on that. But just Google it. You'll find it, um, and you can find out more. All right. Very good. Appreciate that. And before we go, Lisa, uh, my partner in crime at the Reader, 
Anything you want to tell people about my beloved Chicago Reader? Any promotions we got coming other than my greatest hits, which I still haven't put together? Uh-oh, under the gun, Lisa. Anything you want to talk We're about? We're waiting reader? for yours. <laughs> yeah, <but> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yours is coming out soon. Lior Galio, our music writer, has a best of out that is fabulous. And Mike Sula just completed this amazing cookbook with phenomenal recipes. If you like to cook or make interesting cocktails at home, you've got to order it. It's spiral bound. Each page is laminated. So it's going to hold up well when you have too many of the cocktails and spill on your book. So go to chicagoreader.com slash support for that. And Akili, thank you so much for joining us today. And I have a feeling we're going to be bringing you back on. Looking forward to when we're back in the studio and we can have more guests on at a greater frequency. Let's all wear our masks and let COVID be gone. Yes, let COVID be gone. Let's uh, do it. Let's do it. All right. Thank you very much, Akili. Thank you very much, Lisa. It's Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.